my name is Chandler Thaden. We would like to welcome you to the Living Hope College Ministry Podcast, Going Over Ruth 4. We would like to thank you for tuning in and hope you guys enjoy. Lord Jesus, you alone are worthy of our praise. You're the, the name that's above every name. Thank you for the truth that we see in Philippians 2, that you came and you humbled yourself when you were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, our fathers highly exalted you, King Jesus. You have the name that's above every name. And at your name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses because you are the redeemer. Lord, you have saved us from our sin. You've saved us from the penalty of death that we can never pay. So God, we come here tonight to offer our worship to you. Our words are a small price to pay, a small, a small offering. But Lord, we pray that it would be pleasing to you. God, as we study your word and we finish up the book of Ruth and we've seen your redeeming love, pray that you would help us to see that you are the true redeemer. You're the, you're the redeemer that our hearts have longed for, that we so desperately need. We thank you for this beautiful picture that we see in the life of Ruth and Boaz. And God, we pray that you would bless us as we study your word tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. can go ahead and grab a seat. I wanted to uh, say thanks to Jayla and uh, Aaron and the hospitality team for getting all the pizza together. So if you enjoyed the pizza, would you please uh, help me to thank them for... Uh... Penny is a big fan over here, so we may have to do pizza again just because, just because Penny was so excited. It means a lot. No, I'm really glad that you guys are here tonight. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Jason last week. I know that I did. It was very challenging for me to think about uh, rest, and I'm so thankful that we can find our rest in Christ. And tonight, we're going to be finishing up our study of Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4, uh, and this, this series has been in, is, we've called it Redeeming Love, talking about how the God of the Bible is a God of redeeming love. Uh, and in chapter 4, we see that idea of God's redeeming love, his redemption fully developed, and I have to confess to you that back in high school, and this may change the way that you think about me, uh, back in high school, I didn't listen to the best kind of music. Uh, I was a big fan of Drake and Amigos and uh, pre-Christian Kanye. Um, I, I liked a lot of those kinds of guys, and I used to have a, I used to drive a Hummer, and in the back of my Hummer, I had two uh, 12-inch subs, and it shook the whole road as, we were, as I was driving down the road. But anyway, I used to listen to some of those guys, and I also used to listen to a guy named Eminem. And uh, I don't know why, because his music is so angry. His music is so angry. But uh, Eminem is, uh, it was one of my favorites. And you know, funny enough, I like to make a joke that everybody's a theologian. Uh, but Eminem is a theologian. And Eminem asks a question in one of my favorite songs that we're gonna ask tonight. So one of my favorite songs that Eminem sings is The Real Slim Shady. And uh, if you don't know the line of, or I guess the chorus, it says, I'm Slim Shady. Yes, I'm the real Shady. All you other Slim Shadies are just imitating. He says, he asks, so won't the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up, please stand up. And I'll stop right there for the sake of our uh, holiness. But he, he asks, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? And again, this is a, a kind of a silly, but also profound question that we see in the book of Ruth. So we have this, this, this people, these, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, we have this question, will the real, will the true redeemer stand up? Pastor Jason introduced the idea of a goel last week, a kinsman redeemer, this idea that someone's gonna come and 
purchase Ruth back, purchase the land, redeem Naomi, redeem Ruth. And so we, we enter into Ruth chapter four with that question, will the, the real Goel, will the true redeemer, will he stand up? You know, this idea of redemption, it's, it's built into the DNA of the people of God. I got to uh, teach at the BCM this past Thursday and we got to go over the story of the Exodus and I was reminded that even in the very beginnings of the people of Israel, God was a God of redemption. He rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. And, and once they crossed the Red Sea, which is this really cool moment, they crossed the Red Sea and they get to the other side and Moses offers up this song to God. I wanna read to you part of what Moses says. This is Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 through 13. He says, who is like you, O Lord? among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led your people, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That was the way that the people of Israel knew God as a God of redeeming love, that he is a redeemer. This is Isaiah 47, four. Our redeemer, Goalenu is the, the Hebrew word to redeem, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabbath, that's his name. He's your, our redeemer, the holy one in Israel. So Israel's history began with redemption out of slavery in Egypt into God's promised land. And the God that they worshiped is and was a redeemer. And so it only makes sense that if the DNA of the God who redeemed his people, they would have the same kind of DNA that he has, DNA of redemption. And you see this when you study the Old Testament law. I know we knocked the, the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, but there's some really cool things in those books. God's communicating his character to us. He's showing us his holiness. And one of the things uh, that God, he puts in the books uh, of Deuteronomy and Leviticus uh, is this idea of redemption. And so here's how it works. If there was an Israelite family uh, who, who was just so broke that they couldn't, they couldn't do anything, couldn't eat, they could sell their land into uh, and basically get some money back so that they could buy food. And, and it would be the job of their kinsman redeemer, someone who's a relative of theirs, to buy their field from them or, or to buy the field back from the person that they sold it to. And that's the process of redemption. So they took their field, they sold it to someone else, and then they had a wealthy relative that would buy the field back from the person that they sold it to and give it back to those people. So the people, that, that family could keep their, their inheritance, that they could keep their family name going on. So that was the first part. That was called the redemption of property. That's in Leviticus 25, verse tw uh, 23 through 34. And if they become so poor that they had to sell themselves and their land into slavery, well, then you had the, the process of buying their freedom back. If you remember what we studied in the book of Hosea, Hosea's wife, Gomer, she, she basically gave herself away. And Hosea had to go and buy back his wife. He had to, she had to pay a, a ransom price for his wife to return. He was buying her freedom. And then finally, if there was a man who died and he left his wife without any children, they couldn't work the land anymore, right? So there's no way they could provide for themselves. There were no sons. Then it would be the responsibility of, uh, of, a, of a nearest male relative to step in and to marry this widow to have children and to enable that family line to continue. That was called a leveret marriage. That's in Deuteronomy 25. But leveret marriages weren't a matter of love. They were primarily about the preservation of a family, primarily about preserving this line. But as we've already seen in Ruth chapter two and chapter three, Boaz, who's attempting this kind of leveret marriage to redeem Ruth, he's not interested in just preserving the family line. He loves Ruth. And, and even though uh, for his sake, he's interested 
interested in redeeming Ruth and Naomi because he loves her and because he sees her as a worthy woman, there's still another person that's closer. So we left off the end of chapter three with Ruth going to Boaz saying, cast, you know, spread your wings over me, redeem me. You are a redeemer. And Boaz says, that's great. I would love to do that. But there's a guy that's closer than me. You have a closer relative. And so Boaz ends chapter four by saying, he's gonna go and talk to this, this redeemer, this would-be redeemer who's closer to uh, Naomi and Ruth than he is. And so we end chapter three with this kind of tension that Boaz wants to redeem Ruth, but there's somebody that's closer. So now together, let's read chapter four, verse one and two of Ruth. So we're getting started. So it says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz spoken, had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So you imagine this picture in your mind. There's an old school town. It's the town of Bethlehem. And think about whatever you think about when you think about Bethlehem. I think about this old gate. It's kind of how I think about it, uh, that there's maybe a wall around the city and there's this old gate. And at this old gate, this, this gate's really important. It's where the village leaders sat. Uh, I went on a mission trip uh, to West Africa when I was in college, uh, and it was really cool. We went uh, to this country where there was a city, but then you, we left the city to go to the bush, is what they called it, uh, which is where a lot of these kind of tribal villages were. And you would go, every time you went to a new, a new uh, village, you'd have to go to the town gate and you'd have to talk to the elders of the, of the village. And you'd try to find a person of peace, somebody that would go on your behalf and say, hey, these, these guys are okay, you know, they're good to be here. Uh, so we had to go ask permission from the village elders to be there. The village elders were the ones who oversaw all the business. If there was conflict, they were the ones who resolved all of that. And so here at this beginning of Ruth chapter four, you see Boaz doing that same thing. He's going to the village elders and he's going there and he's hoping that this guy's gonna, gonna walk by. This redeemer who's nearer than he is is gonna walk by. And guess who comes walking by? That guy, that redeemer. And if I could encourage you with anything throughout the entire book of Ruth, if you've heard absolutely nothing else, is that you would see in the book of Ruth that there are no coincidences. There are no coincidences with a sovereign God. Every single thing that happens, every detail that happens in the book of Ruth is under the sovereign hand of God who provides for his people. And this is the same exact thing that you have right here that God is protecting, he's providing for, he's redeeming his people. So this redeemer comes walking by and Boaz calls out to me, says, turn aside, friend, which if you were to probably translate that into modern day, it's like, hey, come here. And it's just real informal, hey, come here. And there's no, there's no addressing of a name. And I think that's, that's an interesting detail for us to keep in our minds. Uh, I will make a case here in just a second that the, the writer of Ruth intentionally leaves out his name. Remember, names mean a lot in the Old Testament. Ruth's name had a meaning. Boaz's name, Naomi's name, Elimelech's name, they all had meanings. This redeemer is just identified as a redeemer. And there's some sarcasm, but we'll get there in just a second. So Boaz gets these elders together and they begin to discuss the idea of, of this redemption of Naomi and Ruth. So verse three and four, we read this. Then Boaz said to the redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Limelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders and people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there's no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. So what Boaz tells this 
would-be redeemer, that there's a parcel of land to be redeemed. It's a parcel of land. Naomi's going to sell her land off, and he can choose to buy it, essentially to, to buy it, to provide uh, Ruth to redeem, sorry, redeem Naomi so that she has enough to live on, basically brings her in as a part of the family. See, to be qualified to be a kinsman redeemer, to be a goel, you had to be three things. Write, write these three things down. First, you had to be kin. Obviously, you had to be a kinsman redeemer. You had to be kin. You had to be family. You had to be some sort of a blood relative to be able to, to redeem in this manner. You couldn't redeem somebody that wasn't a part of your family. Secondly, you had to be able. Able in terms of wealth, uh, able in terms of actual ability to redeem this piece of land to redeem and to take care of that which you had redeemed. And then third, you had to be willing to sacrifice. You had to be willing to sacrifice, to make sacrifices so that this other family's line could be preserved. And I want you to keep those things in mind as we move through the passage, because that's what a true kinsman redeemer is like. It's this idea of looking for the the real uh, true kinsman redeemer to stand up. This is the kind of guy that we're looking for. And Boaz tells this guy, hey, hey, if you don't want to be the redeemer, then I'm the next one in line. But it was your prerogative. It's, it's that first redeemer, the, that first guy that shows up. It's his prerogative. And, and this is something that's really interesting. And there was nothing that Boaz could do about this here. Boaz loved Ruth, right? Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. But this guy had the prerogative. It was his right. And Boaz was a worthy man. Boaz could have taken that guy out in the alley and roughed him up a little bit and I don't know, they could have made a backdoor deal and Boaz could have connived his way into, uh, into this marriage with Ruth, but that's not Boaz's character. Boaz trusts God. He trusts God to act in honorable obedience, even if it's gonna cost him an opportunity to marry the woman that he loves. I think there's a lot for us to learn here from Boaz. Boaz teaches us what it looks like to trust God with the outcome of our lives, to trust God, to trust in his plans. Boaz trusted in the plans of the Lord and he acted honorably. There's been many times in my life where I've tried to manipulate others, tried to manipulate situations, even tried to manipulate God to try to get what I wanted, to try to get uh, the things that, that I desired. Sometimes I got what I want and sometimes I didn't get what I want. But I can tell you this, that in the times where I trusted the Lord, I trusted his plan and I acted in honorable obedience, I had a contentment. Even when God said no, there was more contentment when I trusted God and I honored him than there was if I connived and got my own way. I lived in, when, I, when I live in honorable obedience to God and I trust his plan for my life, there's a sense of contentment that I have. There's a sense of peace that I have. More peace even when God says no, that thing that you want, that's not what I'm gonna give you. Even when he says no, there's more contentment and honorable obedience than there is in conniving to get my way. Boaz had a lot to lose here, but he was willing to trust God with the outcome. And so he tells this redeemer, it's your right to do so. It's your right to redeem Naomi and to, to buy this parcel of land. And the redeemer responds. He says, I will redeem it. And all the romantic people in the room are like, your heart's broken, right? You think, oh, Boaz is going to be this guy. Boaz is going to be the redeemer. And, and it doesn't seem right that this guy is going to do it. And you'd be right to say that. But I just wanted to raise some tension in your mind. Just, just for a second, you might have thought, oh, maybe Boaz isn't the guy. No, Boaz is, is the redeemer, and I had to take a, a line from my friend Chase Jasper. Uh, Chase sends me, <laughs> he sends me videos on Instagram uh, from uh, the TV sales guy. His name's Ed Valentini, or Ed Valenti. It's the guy that says, but wait, there's more. He's, I don't know why he does that. I don't know where Chase is, but 
He sends me those all the time. And that's the same kind of situation that's going on here, right? So the guy says, I'll buy this parcel of land, no big deal. And Boaz says, but wait, there's more. Because with this land comes Ruth. Ruth needs redemption too. And again, there's so much here for Boaz to lose. Not just the land, but he's losing the, the right to marry Ruth. And I was trying to think about if this were me, and if, if I was trying to marry Holly in this situation, I'm gonna do whatever I can to, to try to marry her. I'm gonna try to take this guy into the back alleyway. I don't think that would end well for me. Um, I'm not a fighting type, but maybe I would fight him with words, I don't know. Um, but I'll take him out in the alley and I'll just try to connive my way into this deal so I can marry Holly. But that's not how Boaz is. That's not Boaz's character at all. Boaz is a worthy man. He's an honorable man who trusted and obeyed God. And so he tells us would-be redeemer about Ruth, verse five and six. He says, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. That's important. Remember how she's identified. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the widow of the dead. And he says, you're gonna redeem her, buy her back in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. So he says, you gotta marry Ruth too. You gotta bring Ruth into this family. You gotta preserve Elimelech and Malan's line, Malan and Killian's line through, through Ruth. You have to redeem her as well. And then this redeemer, this would-be redeemer, he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. And that's where all the romantic people breathe another sigh of relief because now Boaz, is, he's ready. He's, he's in line. But here, this is, the, this is the reason why I think you can make a really good case that, that this redeemer is not named for sarcastic kinds of reasons because he seems to be the kind of guy that's only interested in profiting for himself, right? When the land is available, he's really ready to buy it because he knows that Naomi, is an, he's, she's an older woman and he doesn't have to start a new family with Naomi because she can't bear any children. So he saw this as an opportunity to, to acquire this land and to give it to his children. But when Naomi, or when Ruth came into the picture, Ruth is a, a young woman. And so Ruth, if, if he redeems Ruth, then he has a child with Ruth. The, the parcel of land that belongs to Naomi belongs to that child. And so here he, he has to make a choice. Do I redeem her and lose and risk the inheritance or do I not redeem her and keep what I've got? And again, here you see the kind of character of this man, this would-be redeemer. He's willing to meet two-thirds of that requirement. He's willing to meet the, he, he's able to redeem and, and he's, he's akin, but he's not a true redeemer. He's not the real redeemer. He's not the real Goel that we're looking for. He's not willing to make the sacrifice because it costs him something. And again, that's why he's not given a name is because he's only interested in serving himself, which makes the contrast to the true redeemer even that much more stark when we'll get there in a second. So this fake redeemer says, I, I can't do it for myself. Boaz, you go ahead. And I can only imagine the joy inside of Boaz's heart here. I, I don't know why, but in my head, I picture Boaz as like this really um, like tough and gruff kind of guy, maybe a big beard, he's pretty ripped. And uh, on the outside, he looks really hard. But on the inside, when he hears those words, I'm not going to redeem you. You can go and do it. It's like he's got butterflies jumping in his stomach. If he's anything like me, he was probably crying. You know, he's just so excited. He finally gets to marry this woman. I bet he, he was ecstatic. He had trusted God. He had obeyed God. And now God had provided the way for him to marry Ruth and to redeem her, which is exactly what he does in verse 13. But before we get to verse 13, there's something for us to notice in verses 7 through 10. This is, there's an important, there's a couple of customs that happen here as Boaz is in the process of redeeming Ruth. Again, these are two things that are important for us to see. There's a great exchange and there's a bride that's bought at a great price. Great exchange and a bride that's bought at a great 
Christ. Here's what we read in verse seven. Now this was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And, it was this, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So essentially when they said that we're gonna make a deal, he took off his sandal. I didn't wear chacos for that purpose, but it might've worked. Take off your sandal, you give it to the other guy. And that was a sign that this process of redemption had been accomplished. He traded sandals. And so Boaz took off his sandal, he gave it to this other guy, and I guess they exchanged sandals. And then Boaz says, verse nine, to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Melan. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melan, I've bought to be my wife. I think that's so sweet. I bought it to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead of his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So again, two things that take place there, important to note. There's a great exchange and there's a bride who's bought with a great price. And in verse 11 and 12, the people of the village bless Ruth. It's a really cool blessing. It's kind of an odd blessing if you know the background of the story, but it's a blessing in the form of a prayer. And it's all centered around Ruth having children. And that's an important detail for us too. And so verse 13, you see this, this marriage ceremony finally happens. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her. The Lord gave her conception. That's an important detail. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now, remember this. How long was Ruth married to Malan before uh, he died? Does anybody remember? It was 10 years. He was married to Ruth for 10 years before he passed away. And do you remember how many children that they had in those 10 years? They didn't have any children. Ruth was a barren woman. No sons, no daughters. She had a barren womb. There's a lot of stories in the Bible uh, where women are born, or women are barren. They're unable to, to bear children. And a lot of times it's seen as a curse from the Lord. Think about Abraham's wife, Sarah. She was barren until God opened her womb. Jacob's wife, Rachel. Uh, the prophet Samuel's mom, Hannah. Uh, there, there are a lot of stories of women in the Bible who, who weren't able to have children. Um, and I'm not a woman, nor have I intended to have children, so I may be speaking a way out of turn here, but uh, I can imagine this being, this, this inability to have children as seeming like a curse from God. And I think about for men, the, the thing we often put a lot of our identity in is, is our ability to work. So maybe guys, for you, try to imagine if you were unable to work, you were unable to provide for your family. This may be the same kind of shame, that may be the same kind of uh, agony that Ruth is feeling. She's unable to have a child. She's unable to carry on her family's name. So she's barren. And you'd probably, I think all of us would probably see that as a curse. And we aren't told that Ruth has been cursed by God. She is a Moabite, so she's someone who's outside the people of Israel. But we don't see anywhere where God is cursed Ruth, but we do see that God reverses the curse. That God reverses the curse. And, and this is really cool. I remember a couple of weeks ago when we studied Ruth chapter one, I told you that there were two times in the book of Ruth where God is seen as the active agent, where God is described as the one who's actively doing something. The first one was in Ruth chapter one, verse six. Uh, this is Naomi. When she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and he'd given them food. That was the first time that God visited his people. Remember the, the land of Bethlehem, was, it, there was a famine there, barren fields. God visited his people and there was an abundant harvest. Now, Ruth 4.13, the Lord gave her conception. 
She bore a son, a barren womb, now bears a child. God reversed the curse in both circumstances. There's a field in Bethlehem that's barren. Remember, Bethlehem means house of bread. The irony of the house, the city named house of bread has no bread in it. A barren field in Bethlehem becomes an abundant harvest and a barren womb in Ruth becomes a womb that can bear a child. And this child is of such importance. We'll get there here in a second. But not only does God reverse the curse with Ruth, he reverses the curse with Naomi too. Ruth chapter one, remember what it was like when Naomi returned from Moab. Verse 19, chapter one. So the two of them went on their way until they came to Bethlehem. And they came to Bethlehem and the whole town was stirred because of them. And the the women said, is this Naomi? They didn't even recognize her. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means sweet. She says, call me Mara, call me bitter. For the Lord has, Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She went away as Naomi. She went away full. She came back bitter as Mara. She came back empty. Now Ruth chapter four, verse 14 through 16, the curse has been reversed. The women said to Naomi, this is after the child is born, blessed be the Lord. She goes away and says, God's brought me back empty, but now blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day. He never left her. He didn't leave her without a redeemer that his name may be renowned in Israel. And this child, he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who more to you than seven sons has given birth. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became her nurse. So again, Naomi, she's, her name means sweet. She goes away and she comes back totally empty. Her name's Mara. But here she has this child that the Lord has blessed her with and has given her this sense of new life. When she went away and came back in Ruth chapter one, they questioned, is this Naomi? When she's sitting here, they said, blessed be the Lord. Isn't that cool? You have this famine to abundance. You have barrenness to a child. There's bitterness to a blessing. There's empty to full. And even with, with Ruth, you have a stranger to the people of God who becomes a member of the family of God. God reversed this curse through a redeemer. And look at who this baby boy is. Verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. I think it's a good name, Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. You guys know who King David is? Verse 18, we see a summary of the, the genealogy of King David. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. This baby that was born in Bethlehem turned out to be the grandson or the, the, yeah, the grandfather of the king of Israel, King David. But that was only the beginning. I want you to flip with me to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, we have this really cool genealogy that you guys have probably, if you're anything like me, have skipped over a whole bunch of times when you got to Matthew because the names don't seem to make sense. There's some really cool links in Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Son of who? Son of David. The son of Abraham. So verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. 
Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Down to verse 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of uh, Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matin, Matin the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And take a guess at what the name of Jesus means. Look down in verse 21. The angel says to, to, uh, to Joseph that Mary will bear a son and you should call his name Jesus. Why? What does the name of Jesus mean? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua means Yah saves, Yahweh saves, God saves. Isn't that cool? See, this whole generation is brought together uh, so that you can see the point that God saves and Jesus' mission was abundantly clear. He is the God who saves, and his mission is this in Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This idea of saving is the same thing as redeeming, and a ransom is what is necessary to save those who were in captivity. For a slave to go free, a ransom must be paid. That's what a Christ is. That's what the Messiah does. He sets his people free because he is a redeemer. In the process of reversing the curse for Ruth and Naomi, God was in the process of reversing the curse for all of humanity. Isn't that cool? Start to see the big picture of what God is doing. And again, let's remember the qualifications of what a kinsman redeemer had to be. They had to be kin, they had to be able to redeem and willing to make a sacrifice. And Christ Jesus, the true Goel, the true redeemer has met every single one of those qualifications. He's a kin. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 through 17. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps us. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He had to be made like us in every respect so he could be tempted like us and be without sin and also be the penalty of sin for us. And we've got to never, ever, ever neglect to know and to affirm that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. You can write this word down. It's the hypostatic union. It's a big word that means Jesus is both fully God and fully man. For him to be less than is for him to not be able to redeem. Secondly, he is able to redeem. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He's able to redeem because his blood is sufficient. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death, but Jesus was able to pay our sin guilt because he himself was sinless. And third, he is willing to sacrifice 
And I wish I could read for you all of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, where it talks about Jesus and his willingness to be a sacrifice for our redemption. But I trust that you'll go back and you'll read it uh, later tonight or some other time. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Christ offered himself as a single sacrifice for sins. And now he's seated at the right hand, waiting for the time until his enemies made a footstool. For by a single offering himself, he is perfected for all, the, all of time those who are being sanctified. Jesus meets every single one of the qualifications to be a kinsman redeemer. And do you all know what happened when, or do you remember what happened when Boaz made that deal with the, the would-be redeemer? There was two things that took place. There was a great exchange and there was a, a bride that was bought with a great price. So too it is with Christ for our redemption. A great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. A great exchange takes place. He takes our sin and we, through faith in him, take his righteousness. And a bride is bought with a great price. Acts 20, 28, it's instruction to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained, Christ Jesus obtained, he bought with his own blood. Christ Jesus has bought us. We are a blood-bought bride of Christ, people who belong to the church. We are Christ's blood brought bride. In every way, Jesus is the true Goel. He is the true kinsman redeemer. And the good news of the gospel is what we read here in Ephesians 1.7. That in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And just like with Ruth, through the redemption that was in Boaz, she was brought into the family of God. Those of us who've been redeemed by grace through faith in Christ, we too have been brought into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, just like Ruth, far off Moabite, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 19, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The God of the Bible is a God who redeems. He's a God who at a great cost to himself has made a way for us to be ransomed from the captivity to our sins. And my question for you to think about tonight is are you here feeling enslaved? Are you here captive to your sin? Do you feel like you're a stranger to God? You feel like you're like Naomi. You feel like you're like Ruth. God is, you're, you are very far from God. You feel like you need someone to redeem you. And I would urge you and plead with you and just pray for you to cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ, just like we saw Ruth did in Ruth chapter three. She went and she threw herself at the feet of Boaz, her redeemer, go well. Can't redeem yourself. None of us can. Wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. All of us need redemption. So I would encourage you, bless you tonight. If you feel like I'm I am stuck in my sin. I am captive to my sin. I would encourage you, cast yourself upon Jesus, the true kinsman redeemer. And for others of you, if you have been ransomed by grace through faith in Christ alone, I would invite you to respond to Ruth 4, this truth that we see about Jesus being our co-el, our, our true kinsman redeemer. 
by responding like the women of Bethlehem did. When they saw that Boaz had redeemed Ruth and God had blessed them, they, they turned and they, in verse 14, they said, blessed be the Lord. And I would just invite you to take just a moment and to bless the Lord for what he has done for you because he is worthy of praise. I wanna finish by going back to the genealogy of Jesus. A, a really cool little tidbit of information, uh, just maybe, maybe good for the American Bible Trivia Challenge. Uh, there's, uh, there are five women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar, uh, she, she posed as a harlot, as a, a harlot, and she was impregnated by her father-in-law. Rahab was a professional harlot. Ruth is a foreigner from a cursed land in Moab. Uriah was a woman who was taken in adultery, and Mary was an unwed mother. And in each of these, you have a, a less than favorable history coupled with the work of God through their lives that produced a redeemer who was perfect and who was sinless, who was perfect and was, God can take sinful people. The point of that is to say, God can take sinful, broken people and he can bring them in and he can produce a perfect, sinless savior because he is a God who redeems. And I just invite you, if you don't know him as the God who redeems, that pray that tonight would be that night for you. Because Christ Jesus has come and the true redeemer has stood up. He stood up and he gave his life for you and I. He was lifted high upon a cross for you and I. He breathed his last, he was buried in a grave. We're gonna celebrate that next week. He was buried in a grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave and he is now seated at the right hand. His work is finished. Redemption has been paid, the, the price of redemption has been paid. You and I have a way to be set free from our captivity to sin, our slavery to sin. And so if you're here tonight and you, you've never trusted Christ, would you, would you just cast yourself upon his mercy? And if you have trusted Christ, would tonight just be a night that spurs your, your desire to praise him? Because he is worthy of all of our praise. He is our goel. He is our true kinsman redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us. We thank you for the, the good news of the gospel that Christ Jesus has come and given his life so that we might be free. And Father, we thank you for this truth that we see here in Ruth chapter four about the true kinsman redeemer, Lord, that you are our goel, that you are the God who redeems us. Thank you for Christ Jesus and his death and his resurrection that is provided for the redemption, his blood has provided the redemption of our sins. And pray, Lord, tonight, if there are any in this room who don't know you as their kinsman redeemer, and they need to, pray that your spirit will work on their hearts and such a way that they would be drawn to repent and to believe, to cast themselves upon your mercy. Lord, there's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. We are born in sin and we are dead in our sin. God, you give us new life. We thank you that through the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, that the curse of sin has been broken, the curse has been overturned, and we have the hope of eternal life. And so God, we pray that, again, if there are any in here that don't know you, that tonight would be a night of salvation. And for those of us who do know you, that we would marvel at the fact that you are our kinsman redeemer. You are, you are our kin. You became like us. Lord, that you were able to save us because you are sinless. That you are, that you are willing to make a sacrifice for our, on our behalf so that we might go free. Thank you for purchase, purchasing us as your blood-brought bride. Lord, we give you our praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.